136. This is Greg Duncan. And that silence you hear is the rest of our hosts who couldn't quite join us this week. Um, funny how that is working in spring break and vacations and, and working and you know, like, like that's, like that's an excuse. Oh wait, without working, it would kind of hard to redo the podcast. Okay. Well, fine. We'll give them all a break. Um, luckily I've got two awesome guests, one who's been on the show before and one who is brand new. So this is his baptism of Gregness. Okay, that's kind of weird to say. <laughs> baptism of Radio TFS baptism. That's it. That's better. Uh, first of all, uh, Richard Fennell, who was last with us on show 117, July 14th, 2016, just under a year ago. Richard is the engineering director of Black Marble Limited, a gold, Microsoft Gold partner based in Yorkshire, North Black Marble specializes in BizTalk and SharePoint-based business automation. Engineering director is responsible for delivery of system and tools to allow his company and their clients to create great software. You know, I want one of those that says to create, you know, just barely good enough software. Okay, no, I guess that would that would suck as a bio, wouldn't it? That's kind of create awesome. Okay, fine, fine, Richard. Okay, you guys create great software. <laughs> Richard is a regular presenter at events in the UK and Ireland and the rest of the world when given the chance, where his most common subject is software testing and the development process. Richard's also been an MVP for Visual Studio ALM <laughs> since it was team system for nine years. It's probably more than that now, right? No, I think it's. I think I'll come up to ten this year if I get renewed. Okay, and you're also a Type Mock MVP and a certified Scrum Master. Uh, yeah. Let's see which kind of Scrum Alliance. Hey, you're a Scrum Alliance Scrum Master. Yes, Ooh, I am. Not a Scrum. That's two of us. Yeah. Hey, all right. Hey, hang on. Three of us. Thank you. Come on. <laughs> Our other guest, who's new to the show, is Rick Hempworth. Rick has experience in a broad range of areas, including marketing and PR, design and print. His primary focus is information technology. And he's, his experience in designing, deploying, and managing IT projects of varying scale in a range of organizations. Rick is a chartered IT professional and holds the professional qualification from Chartered Institute of Marketing. Rick is now a Microsoft MVP for Microsoft Azure, and he helps customers look at how they can take advantage of cloud services as part of their overall IT strategy. Gentlemen, welcome to Radio TFS. Hello. Thanks, Greg. <laughs> Good to be here. <laughs> you know, during pre-show, listeners, you know, I always prepped the, I prepped our guests and say, you know, we're just a bunch of geeks, kind of like hanging out and recording the show. And you can kind of tell that from the way I read that bios. Read this bios, can't you? Well, it's when you hear it back, you think, I really should rewrite my bio. <laughs> And I thought that last year when you read it. <laughs> well, you know, my bio is Greg does stuff occasionally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we're going to go through the, the news items really quick. Um, Martin's not here, so we'll be able to go through them relatively fast. Hopefully Martin's not listening. Martin, we love you. I don't care what they say about you, <clears throat> especially now that you're in the position that you're in and you have like a little bit of pull. We like you even more. Are you listening? Probably. Or probably. Um, so we have some news items. The, the first of all, first news item that I want to talk about is we have a new update for TFS 2015. I think the last show we talked about it, it was in preview, uh, TFS 2015.4. Well, now it's been released. And um, it's basically, if you look at the release notes, it's a bug fix. It's a bug fix release. Uh, Rick and Richard, how many people uh, do you guys... Are you engaging with clients and installing like TFS with them and, and, and that kind of stuff? Not in the volume we were. Uh, I think uh, many of the engagements I'm doing now, people are talking about their migration strategies up to VSTS. 
So we're not. I certainly, I'm seeing very few new TFS installs, and the upgrades I'm tending to do are tending to be to enable a migration at the moment. So it's uh, 2015.4, I think, is for the people who can't move for whatever reason. And probably that they can't move to 2017 either, probably because of a sequel dependency. Yeah. But they, they need to take the bug fixes. They need the bug fixes. So uh, a nice release for them. Mm-hmm. And we'll have the release in the, uh, um, Brian Harry's post in the show notes for that. Uh, another new item, uh, which I, I heard when it was released, a hallelujah from like every uh, BSTS supporter in the sky. It's a streamlined user management and is now in preview. Is this something you guys were excited about when you saw this? I, not as much as many people seem to be. I didn't struggle with the old one too much, but it's, it's, a, it's a far cleaner UI for certain and matches with the new UI redesigns and makes some bulk operations more straightforward and that sort of area. So, uh, but I didn't see them cheering from the rooftops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's kind of cool. And, and coming in uh, from my perspective as, as a new VSTS, just getting our people up to speed, um, I, I thought it was actually pretty neat. But then again, I've not felt the pain and walked in the shoes of any of the old yeah. the old versions. Mm. And speaking of updates, we have Visual Studio 2017 Preview 15.2. Um, the, their cadence on these updates is pretty scary. That I guess the whole new Visual Studio installer with the side-by-side installing for Visual Studio is really starting to pay off with these kind of releases. Uh, some of the fixes in this one, I, and this one personally I love in this um, in 15.2 Visual Studio side-by-side support for different TypeScript compiler versions. I'm fighting that battle now where we're rolling out um, Angular versions and you know some versions of Webpack supports requires two and then there's two two and then there's one dot x and, and dealing with all that side-by-side stuff is making us insane. So that alone is a great thing. There's a new workload. The data science and analytical applications workload has been added. Uh, so it seems like a lot for a dot two, but I guess it's there's bug fixes in here too. God, how many releases have they done? There's one, two, four, five, five releases with the first one being March 7th. That's a scary case. Yeah, it's, it is. It's a big change yeah, to for, see the cadence coming through so fast in the IDE as well as in the uh, uh, VSTS. In the, sort of the, the things that are easier to manage in the cloud sense that they've got their handle on. Yeah, in the, the in, deployment area, this has got to come out onto your machines. Visual Studio is like got a, almost a two week uh, account. Yeah. That is scary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I've, I've, I've got to say, as 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 part of the, the the team that actually managed the installation of this stuff for our devs, actually, I I, I quite like the new 2017 installer, and if if they if they can do quick small releases that mean we don't have to go through the pain of a three-hour reinstall and all that kind of stuff that you know the devs are sitting playing cards because the dev tools are, are updating around them that'll be really 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 great from my point of view and the updates seem to be pretty fast i know i every time i get a wine in 2017 i installed the updates and it seems to be really fast what's your guys mm-hmm. experience yeah yeah that, that that's been my experience thus far yeah yeah same here Except you have to be a local admin. In our environment, our de- developers, sadly, are not local admins on their machines. 
Okay. Yes, I mean, that's that's one of those evergreen conversations, isn't it? I mean, I'd love to not make our devs local admins, but I suppose we are a small enough company that I I, I can hunt them down and hit them on the back of the head if they do something naughty. <laughs> um, but it, it would be really nice if the dev tools didn't need elevation for a lot of stuff they do, but I, I don't think we're going to get away from that, are we? Yeah, well, especially, I mean, like with all the dependencies, I guess it would depend on the workload. And I can't see where some of the workloads, you wouldn't need it. But the, doing um, Android development where you need all the emulators and all that, folks, you'd almost have to be a local admin. But I'll tell you what I do love about 17, the way that the updates, like extension updates and stuff are applied. That is awesome. Basically, when you have like an update, um, when you would go to uh, tools and extensions update in 2015, there's three different things you have to update well it updates that one and then updates that one and then it updates that one and if you you'd have to go through uac for all three now with 2017 it basically queues them all up and when you exit visual studio 17 you have one elevated prompt and then all those extensions will install one after the other that is awesome see there speaks a man who has too many extensions in his visual studio <laughs> Well, you were supposed to install every packet, right? And every option. And oh, God. Every tool. <laughs> That's the old developer. I, I, I saw this button that said next, and I just kept clicking it until it said finish. And, I, and, and then 35 gig of disk space just evaporated. What did I do? <laughs> I'm not like that. Not at all. Well, this is why we don't let devs install software, you know. <laughs> I'm gonna do C plus plus one day. Come on, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, yeah. I, there's, there's a chance in hell. I'll do that. Oh, yeah. So, um, there's another post here that I wanted to make sure I called out, and it's one of those really simple ones. But if you're running TFS 2017 update one and you're running into NuGet package restore issues that like it's always failing, uh, the TFS update guys, oh, God, I cannot pronounce his name. Manager Duran. Oh, dude, I'm not even gonna try. Uh, but there's a good post here on basically when you're doing the task, the build task, or there is two NuGet versions you can use when you've done update one instead. Instead of the 3.3, which is the default, switch to 3.5, and that should solve your problem. So the links, like everything, will always be in the show notes. Uh, Buck Hodges ha had a good post about what's new and exciting uh, in April for uh, BSTS. Uh, lots of Git. Uh, guys, I got a question for you. Totally off the rails here, like we have. When you're converting people from TFS to VSTS, are you converting them from TFBC to Git as well, or not what's the what's the kind of story there it the consultant answer it depends <laughs> uh, and it's something we might talk about later but right. if we're using the high fidelity tfs migration tool right. to bring it in where we have the option of bringing their tfvc as it is now a lot of teams are going well we're happy with tfvc we might want to look at git but we can have that side by side with git and there's tooling to help us jump around between the two so we're going to stay with what we know for now, and we might move, or we might not. But if we're going with people who are not using the high-fidelity migration, they're spinning up VSTS and cutting stuff over in some other manner, either with just the tip or they're bringing over some degree of history, I'm tending to see far more of those are going to Git if they're not on Git already, purely because the story's more straightforward. Because right. TFVC to TFVC migrations, as we all know, are troubling things to do and you lose fidelity you lose 
stuff. It gets compressed at best. So I think it depends which way they're choosing to migrate, which way they're going to go. So we went, we actually formed, moved our TFS to VSTS over Christmas using the migration tool. And we're doing more, I'd say more of our new projects these days are starting to be kicked off with Git. But the, our long running stuff that's been in TFVC for a long time, no one's rushing to change it. They might at a major milestone, but they might not. Right. You know, okay. it's, we support both. Good. Well, my hands are raised in excitement because that's <laughs> the kind of plan that we're going to be doing. We're basically, yeah, taking the tip, get latest, and then move that over and move that over to Git and, and start living in Git land. Because, I don't know, professionally, it kind of seems that we have to Git, right? I mean, every every job requirement, everybody is doing Git. Seems like it's it's something that has to be in your tool belt. Now, if TFBC works, obviously, and we're going to have we got two stories here about TFBC in a second. Um, but you also have to really grok both centralized version control and distributed version control as a professional developer. Do you guys kind of agree or disagree? Oh yes, I'd certainly agree with that. And I think the big advantage of Git at this point in time is it's ubiquitous. So it's the thing that pops up everywhere. I will be able to get a commit git command line irrespective of platform I'm working on. And there's a fair chance the dev or management tool will understand git to some degree. So I've got that common parlance to move things around. So it's a tool not just for source control, but to enable quite a lot of different DevOps stories as well. So it is there and ubiquitous. Uh, and you are starting to see your your relatively new hires coming out of college or have worked on open source stuff. That's what they know. That's what they know. So but play to strengths at that point. doesn't mean TFEC is going away. And for some projects, it's a better solution. But we we do need to support both. We need uh, certainly in our roles in consulting and working in these areas. We need to be perfectly happy with working with either one. Right. Yeah. Um, how. When converting people over to Git from TFBC, how long was the pain period on average? <laughs> days, weeks, months, years, decades? I, I'd say days with bursts of months. <laughs> <laughs> if you bring somebody over with a simple workflow mm -hmm. and point out to them that you used to start editing a file, Visual Studio dealt with it. When you were finished, you checked it in, you were sorted. If you once you've got into their head, they commit it and then they have to remember to sync it. Uh, if you keep them on that simple workflow, it's not too bad. It's then once they start to get experience, they'll start and you can start to bring in the, the good Git practices, the branch by features, maybe things like Git flow, which may or not require them to go to the command line to, to do the more interesting things that you can do in Git. But if you keep your process fairly simple and straightforward and there's excellent cheat sheets out there that people have done that says you know if you used to do this command this is the command you do now uh, and then they're in plural site courses and all spread over everybody's websites uh, you know it's you can get somebody competent mm -hmm. pretty quick but if they want to start doing oh I want to do this rebase off here merging this down to that and the other it's more complex but it would be with TFVC as well you know it's 
you know, it's it's your foot you're pointing the shotgun at with both of them. You know, it's one of those, you know, more complex things take more experience and more practice. Right. But you can get going reasonably quick. Good. Good. That makes me feel better in training my team. And, you know, some of our, our newer people, like you were saying, our, our newest people are no git and i've been trying to train them on tfbc and are now our more experienced people um, i'm going to have to be training them onto git so i probably leverage the new people who've been through one way to teach them the other way i found that a really useful technique that's worked really well for me out at various clients cool. you found that often a relatively new hire or a junior or an intern but they know git because they've right. been doing it for their coursework uh, and they can often be quite a useful little sort of champion for the, the new way of working within the project and answer those day-to-day usage questions. Cool. You know, I think it's, it is worth saying, so <clears throat> obviously I, I tend to work more with sort of IT pros and, and, and guys writing um, automation scripts, that kind of stuff, and they tend to take to, let's say, simple Git quite easily because we want to do fairly frequent commits. We're doing little edits to a script. We commit to to, to give us a, a, a history, if you like, that if we break something, we can work backwards. We don't necessarily think like a dev where you don't want to check in if it doesn't build. We use the, the, the history in Git as, as, as our um, multi-step undo, if you like, um, and, and then sync up to the, to the central repo. Um, where the IT guys' heads tend to explode is when you start talking about um, pull requests and, 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 and branch by feature that we just go, I'm sorry, that does not compute. <laughs> uh, but I think if you try to introduce source control into, into non-dev teams, um, just for good practice, you know, to have that central repository, then I, right. I, I think Git's easier to adopt than TFVC. Interesting. Yeah, because we've got other non, uh, they're script developers, so they're not traditional developers, but they're still writing a lot of quote unquote code and stuff. And we've been wondering what we're going to do with that group, whether we're going to just keep them on the, our on-prem TFS for forever since they don't really care or to, you know, move them over, help them migrate over to VSTS. Yeah, so, so we've, we, we've switched, we switched to Git. Um, uh-huh. What I would say though is I I love that Visual Studio 2017 now will open a folder, so it's very like code <laughs> yeah. in that regard. And um, we've got a bit of a split amongst our team. So 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 one of my guys way prefers Visual Studio Code, um, but I still prefer the, the the environment of of Visual Studio and and the fact that we can actually use either or both for for doing that that sort of script work that we're doing, and then just do a a, a, a commit and a sync. Is, is really, really great for us. And, and as a member of a team who have a mixed attitude to source control, he said, trying to be diplomatic, uh-huh. um, getting people to adopt um, Git, and then through that enabling us to work with the wider team of, of our sort of test teams and, and, um, and dev teams that we didn't used to really do. You know, the IT guys at Black Marble were supporting the IT of Black Marble, whereas now we're much more engaged in projects and we're, we're, we, you know, we're scripting the infrastructure for the projects. And I think actually we've found it easier doing it the gateway than, than the, the TFVC way where, you know, you've got shelf sets, but shelf sets would bent my head anyway. Um, I, I still like to just commit, 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 sync when I'm happy. Yeah. Okay. Now, I know, you listeners out there, I know there's about half of you that are jumping up and down, all pissed off because you are TFBC users. You are happy to be TFBC users that they can, you know, 
pry the TFBC from your cold, dead fingers, um, and you're all pissed off that we're talking about Git and all the futures and stuff with Git. Well, TFBC users, I've got good news for you. Uh, the post that I was just talking about earlier about from Buck Hodges also talks about that TFBC is support is now available in Android Studio, IntelliJ, and Rite. And this is like the full-on um, checkout from Team Services or uh, Team Foundation Server, execute all the basic version control stuff, view local changes and histories of your files, view, edit, create workspaces, update, check in lo uh, local files, merge conflicts, lock, unlock files, directories, labels, even use TFS proxy. That's all now available um, in the plugin, TFPC plugin. And finally, Visual Studio Code also has TFBC, full-on TFE support with all of those same exact changes. So you TFBC guys, man, if that is your world, and it still is mine today, I checked in stuff to TFBC like an hour ago, um, your world is not silo. You're on Android Studio, IntelliJ, Visual Studio Code. You can still live and be happy in your TFBC world for forever. And I know from the, MB, uh, the MVP summits, TFBC is not going away. It has a long and very fruitful future. Would you guys agree with me on that statement? Oh, yes, definitely. It's, uh, you know, it, it works. It does what it does, and it keeps the volume of stuff you have to pull down onto a given devs machine a lot smaller than Git does. And that has advantages in certain code bases, particularly very large ones that, for historic reasons, aren't as modular as a modern design might make them. And we can't all go around re-architecting all of our products every week, though we may love to. <laughs> so, you know, businesses run on heritage and legacy software. So it's, you know, we need to keep keep working on those. You might choose, as I say, to you might choose to start refactoring bits out and putting them into Git if that's what you choose. But if TFVC is working for you, you know, there's no there's no need to break it. It's not going away. Absolutely. Exactly. Um, and this shows that there's actually still investment going into it. Mm -hmm. so I, uh, I thought that was the best news almost of, of the whole of the whole show is that there's a, that additional TFBC port. Well, beyond having you guys on, you guys were the best part. That was TFBC is like third or fourth. Other news stories we've got um, Joseph Bourne, who I've you know, screwed up his name a number of times in the past, uh, did his usual uh, team service extensions roundup. And the one thing that I really wanted to call out is he talked about spec map, which does story maps. And do you guys, have you ever guys done story maps? So interesting enough, Greg, I was going to call that one out because um, quite a long time ago when I was um, doing web development, I watched a really, really great session by somebody called Indy Young. Um, and she did a, she's written a book called Mental Models. And that, as far as I can work out, because I hadn't come across the, the, the spec map extension until you sent that, that news article around, um, is just that. And I thought that was a really great tool for aligning development effort with user needs. And um, one of the things that I found really interesting about it is it's a great way of, of, of noticing if you've put not enough investment in to a particular area or too much investment into a particular area. You know, so maybe you've got f far too much development effort going against um, a, a particular um, user requirement that actually isn't that high up the priority list for the users. Um, and, and I found that a really interesting model to, to, to use to sort of map out your app and, and work out where you should focus your dev effort. Yeah, I love the idea of story. I, I personally, unfortunately, we've moved. We don't do our, 
our Scrum or Agile in TFS or VSTS. That's just for version control, which makes me sad every time I see it. Uh, and our tool doesn't support story maps either. But um, I, just, I, I am seeing that kind of disconnect from the product owners and the stakeholders. And, you know, they're trying to wrap their heads around what's a user story and what's a feature and, and how do these things roll up? And, you know, the, the granularity of the user stories, it's like, you know, the users don't care about your story. Our product owners really don't care about it as much. They want to see a feature. They want to see a thing. And they want to see that thing done. How that thing gets broken down and implemented, you know, a lot of our stakeholders, they don't give a rat's butt. They just they just want to see this new dashboard with these new tiles on it with numbers that work. Yeah, no, I, I think that's absolutely right. I, I, it, it's certainly one that I'm going to encourage Richard to have a look at, I think, when I get back <laughs> into the office. <laughs> so this this week, this month, is a spring into DevOps. Uh, the Microsoft DevOps team and a number of people actually around the world are talking about DevOps. Um, unfortunately, this event is happening in April, a couple months from now. In June, it, but it's the first global DevOps boot camp. And there are a number of names, which I am not, Mateus, Jasper, uh, Marcel. So Marcel, yeah, Marcel. Rene, yeah. Um, they're kicking it off, but, but you guys have a piece of this too, right? Yes, yeah, we were approached by the group who sort of kicked off the idea over in uh, uh, Holland uh, to uh, run a, a, a UK armor, North of England arm. So we're actually running a boot camp out of our offices on that Saturday uh, for 20-odd people. So the space, that's the space we've got. And there's other camps spinning up around the world now as people find some space. They're free events to turn up. So uh, it's looking interesting. So I believe we have uh, Donovan Brown doing a keynote for us across all of the venues. Uh, and then people get to do some hands-on labs. Well, he's going to be busy flying, isn't well, he? I believe he's sending a video. <laughs> <laughs> Unless he can get a rental of Santa's sleigh for the day, he has issues. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I would guess I would guess a video, given the time zone implications, because uh, you know, I think we're spread across a few continents now. And, and what's go what, what kind of stuff are you talking are going to be doing at this uh, boot camp? It's basically a from raw code to having something up and running in Azure and building the dev test release pipeline for it. Are so, you guys going to do? As much of the ops part, like telemetry and logging and like using App Insights or? I don't know if the final hands-on labs, because we're all going to do the same ones, have been finalized as to how far we get on that. I think so, but I wouldn't like to commit for definite because I haven't seen the final labs myself yet. Right, because that's my, one of my wines. Everybody's talking about DevOps and they talk about CI and CD, but they don't call about the... The feedback. Yeah, the, the, the CP, the Continuous yep. Performance Monitoring and Telemetry and stuff. Ooh, I should do that. CI, CD, CP. TM. <laughs> <laughs> um, how hard is it for you guys to do something? Is this like a lot of work or is it, or is, my, or is the team doing all the labs and you guys? They're, they're producing the, the, all the core of the labs for this one. It's similar to the way the Azure boot camps have been done in the past. The MVPs have got together and produced some material and shared it between. So it'll be passed around and people will share it and just sort of in the same way with the ALM Rangers work. Somebody produces hands-on labs, somebody checks it, critiques it, loop it round a few times, make sure it all works. But, you know, 
for for us effectively we we're, we're lucky that we've got easy access to our office at weekends so we can we can host it and it it becomes an issue of getting people in getting desks making sure the wi-fi works and getting some lunch in you know sort of <laughs> after that so much of the stuff is driven by azure as long as we can connect and we can provide them with a hands-on lab to follow the event works quite well yeah, it, it really is just us being there on hand to answer questions to sort of talk about our experience and and you know guide people through the journey really isn't it yes we're like 30 minutes in and we haven't even started talking to you guys so i'm going to go through these last news stories here really quickly <laughs> i said that before um but there's one post that i wanted to really call out because i'm referencing this myself it's how to implement feature flags and a b testing um oscar my compatriot in crime here uh, knows that i talk about feature flags all the time and i also talk about that we should never ever invent our own beyond the most painfully simple thing and if we go beyond simple there's a number of them already available. Uh, so this post that will have the links in the show notes, they talk about that and they have it examples uh, for JavaScript front end feature flags, like for Angular yeah, team listening. Are you guys listening? We do Angular. So Angular feature flags, .NET, like feature toggle and feature feature switch. If you're doing for uh, um, SAS solutions, SAS solutions, launch darkly, who I've talked to it at a number of times. So I'll have this post in the show notes. Um, speaking of CI, this is, again, something that we'll be doing on it. If you're wanting to go to BSTS and you think it's going to be the coolest thing since sliced bread, but you do a lot of stuff custom, your builds are extremely custom, you have uh, a number of local dependencies that you just kind of scares you to go out in the cloud, I've got two posts, one from Chris Patterson and one from Sachi Williamson that talk about how you can do your CI pipeline with customized, i.e. private build server. So one's building your app in the CI pipeline, customized build servers, this is Chris Patterson's post. Uh, and the other one is deploying on-premises, deploying to on-prem environments with VSTS or Team Foundation Server, which again talks about how do you use the private build agents. And there's lots of pictures so you can show your IT guys that they don't have to be scared. You don't, you don't have to like break the firewall and how that communication flows between the on-prem agents that, you know, you don't have to open an inbound firewall or anything weird like that. So these two um, links will be in the show notes. And do you guys, see that a lot private agents both for the, building uh, I th basically we only use private agents okay. <laughs> pretty <laughs> much uh, for our internal dev so much of it involves beast talk that is your definitive it's a weird thing that has to be installed just right <laughs> so uh we use private build agents uh for for that uh you know, the, the hosted ones are fine if they do what you want, but as soon as you need to install something that has to be put on with an MSI, you probably can't use it. You know, they're fine if the things deploy neatly with NuGet. So, uh, yeah, I, all of our internal stuff, private build agents, and a lot of our customers have needs for a private build agent, often just the fact they need to reach into a corporate data center because they're in hybrid cloud, and an agent that's sitting purely up in Azure can't see back to where it has to do something. So that makes sense. Makes a lot mm. of sense. And the fact that it's so flexible that you can do that. Yep. last story before we you know, spend the last five minutes of the show with you two. Uh, and I just love the title. Avoid the slide from DevOps to DevOps. This is a show from uh, uh, the guys at Redgate, Civil Talk blog. Tony Davis talks about, you know, if you're trying to roll out DevOps, uh, how to do it. 
without it turning into scrum butt and scrum butt butt and scrum butt 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 then it's just butt 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 uh kind of thing same thing here i I love these bullet point your developers talk more about no ops than devops and it's a short post too so go ahead and read it links will be in the show notes gentlemen let's talk about like i said we've got 3.5 seconds tell me everything there is about moving from tfs to vsts go oh there's there's plenty to discuss there so uh I think we need maybe longer than three seconds, maybe okay. maybe five. Okay. But uh, yeah, I would say it's certainly it's a big area of interest we're seeing at the moment. There's a gen, there seems to be over certainly in Europe. There seems to be the the fear of the cloud has dissipated, and companies who two years ago were saying, "Oh, we're not going near the cloud," is now often their security focused people are coming and saying, "We've heard this cloud stuff's pretty good. Can we have a look at it?" So, and the whole thing about I don't want to have to manage a TFS server, which have always been troublesome beasts, because <laughs> IT went, "Well, it's a dev thing," and dev went, "No, it's core business infrastructure." And then everybody ignored it to a degree. So (laughs) too often have I been out to find a TFS server that's not properly in the corporate data center. It's not being backed up properly. It's not having patches applied or intermittently. So the move to any cloud service solution, VSTS in this case, is quite compelling for many organizations uh, to move to move through. But uh, then, as, as we were discussing earlier, it becomes a question of what does that mean? And now we've got Microsoft's uh, import TFS, uh, TF, TFS to VSTS database import tool, I think it's its right. proper name, uh, that allows you to move a TPC up into as a, VS, a brand new VSTS instance. For many people, that's exactly what they've been looking for, that they can over a weekend in theory. Uh, with a bit of prep work first, uh, pick up a team project collection. And when they come in, it's up in VSTS and their customizations are still there. Their TFVC is still there. Their builds still work. They just reconnect everything and they just carry on. And that's worked very well for a good number, well, for us and a good number of our customers. Uh, and, you know, that's, and to be honest, that's what a lot of people want. I'd like my t- I like my TFS server, but I don't want it here. I want it in the cloud. And that's what that tool delivers. Right. Now you have me rethinking my, because I wanted to use this as an opportunity to think it fresh. But God, just moving moving it up there. Well, then the thing is, you can do that. And then inside that VSTS instance, create a new team project, which is the nice, new, neat way of doing it. You can see, establish everything. You've still got your old stuff there. And then you can establish a new team project the way you want to work with Git repos. And you can move stuff Git repos that you've already got, you can move across. You can import them because VSTS has an import now of a Git repo from anywhere it can see. Right. Or you could do it from the Git command line if you want to. And what we also got in the last sort of drop of tools is the ability to import into a brand new Git repo from a TFVC instance in the same VSTS server. So there is a import from TFVC into Git built into the VSTS UI now, and it will bring it over with, I think it's somewhere between 30 to 100 days of history. Now, that sort of raises its own questions because you tend to find people aren't interested in bringing history when they migrate because they just want a brand new clean structure. We're going to do it right this time. This time's (laughs) the time we do it right. It'll be perfect. But I'll leave my old history where it was because I can always go and look. But I'm going to start clean here. And it's particularly if you're going from TFVC to Git, 
What's right. a good structure in TFEC isn't necessarily a good structure yeah. in Git. They're different things. They they have different strengths, so you might use different layouts. You'll certainly probably have many Git repos where you had one TFVC folder structure. Uh, or they want to bring over all the history with all of the problems that always causes us. So this one that sits in the middle that only allows you to bring up to 100 days, that's something I've not been asked for much historically. <laughs> People want all or nothing. But if you offer them, you know, the last quarter, 100 days, so, you know, that's that might be interesting for some people, but it's certainly a tool that allows you to, if you've done your full migrate up into the cloud and your TFVC is there, you have umpteen tools that give you routes to move forwards in the same team project collection inside TFVC or to a separate one and move stuff around, whether it be through the tooling in the browser or dropping it out to a workstation and pushing it back up using a variety of migration command lines whether it be TFVC to TFVC, TFVC to Git, whatever you want to do at that point. Can you do it multiple times, like a trial run yes. the migration and then nuke it? And oh, then do it? oh, which, sorry, do you mean the, the full fidelity migration? Yeah, yeah. Oh, the way it works is you download some tools. Right. Uh, you run the tool from a command line and it checks to see if your server is good to go. Checks right. versions, database collations, any customizations you've got and gives you a list of thick problems, which you have to fix. Right. Uh, and they're things like you, the commonest one I found is that you've set a rule in a work in a work item customization that says if you're an admin, you can do this. If you're not an admin, you, ha you have to do that. You know, you can't close a call unless you're an admin, that type of thing. That type of rule currently isn't available in VSTS, though it's on the future timeline. So it's, it's on its way, but it's not there at the moment. So you have to remove that type of rule. Once you've got all of that. What you do is you run another command line tool, which uh, produces a manifest file that links all your users on-prem to users in your Azure Active Directory. Mm -hmm. uh, and you take that file, you fill in a few other details in it, uh, you take a backup of your team project collection database, and you, they get pushed up into Azure. And there's a few ways of doing it, depending on how big it is. Mm -hmm. And once all those files are up there, you run a third command that says, import this for me, please. And you step back and wait. And that will take a few hours. And what happens the first time you do that, you use a specific key that you were given. And that creates what's called a dry run instance. So it would be Richard's instance hyphen dry run dot visual studio dot com. And that, if that fails, I can keep doing it until it succeeds. Once it succeeds, the key's used up. And then I can go and kick the tires, make sure everything looks okay, make sure I'm happy, maybe do some training, whatever I want to do. Uh, and then I delete my dry one, run one and I repeat the process with a newer backup of my data for my live production one. So effectively, you test everything first, then you redo it to push it up. Okay. Um, Oscar, I know you're listening. Yeah, this is going to be on your to-do list this week. <laughs> I, I want to see us. I want to see us do that. I mean, why not? Yeah. What, you know, if we're already going, we've already got the approval to go to VSTS. Why, why not give it a try? The one thing that I found has been a little limiting for some customers is that they, you've got to be on TFS 2017 to do it. Last week it was TSFs 2015, but uh, oh, actually no, I think you can, the last day you can do 2015 uh, is something like the 21st of this month. So in reality, it's 2017 because <laughs> you're not going you're not going to get moving in 24 hours. So that's what, interesting. I've had a couple of customers who've approached me who are on TFS 2010 because they've not been patching. These they've decided to move, so we've got to move them up to 2017 first and then move them on. 
which is interesting. Yeah, I mean, to, to be fair, I think one of the reasons we looked so much at the cloud was um, my SQL cluster is running SQL 2012. Now, Richard yeah. said, I need SQL 2014 for TFS 2017. And I went, oh, dear. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think uh, this is where the, the, the joys of building Azure VMs just to, to allow you to skip between versions to, to maybe do that, that update is, is, is worth looking at. <laughs> Uh, we'll have to talk about that, Oscar. Because I well, kept sir. wanting to upgrade in place because we're on twenty fifteen dot four right now or dot three right now. Yeah, but, but it, what, is that physical or virtual? Physical. You're running on right. What I'd normally do is I'd spin up a virtual one that isn't necessarily for your for your dry run. Go and create a DR failover into a virtual environment and test all your upgrade processes as part of your dry run to move it all through. That's a technique we use quite regularly. And your 2015 can sit there chugging away while you, you work out your processes <laughs> on your virtualized copy, yeah, which you then ends up in the cloud. Yeah, okay. You know, that's that, a technique that, that we use quite actually, regularly. Yeah, we actually did that. Or we, the royal we, Oscar, actually that was one of his first tasks as he spun up a 20, uh, 2017 box It took a backup of our production data and, and applied it there, and we, we kicked it around and stuff. So we could do that same thing again and then use that as the yeah. Okay, well, we will have because it would be interesting all that stuff up there just for. Then again, I can just update my 2015. I've got SQL Server 2014 on it now, so let's just yeah. upgrade it in place. Ah. Yeah. All right, guys. Um, we're at wow. Where are we at? 45 minutes, and I still wanted to talk. Can in in 10 minutes or less? Uh, what what really is Dev Test Lab? Is it? Ooh, ooh, I like questions like that. So I I've got to say I I love Dev Test Labs just because it's really hard to answer questions like that. <laughs> um, so when when it first came along, um, I was I was quite intrigued because it was being presented as a governance wrapper for using the cloud with your dev team. And I think it's really, really good at that. So um, you've got, I don't know, two or three projects running inside your, your, your organization. They've got a budget, um, and you need to be able to spin up um, environments, dev machines, test environments, that kind of thing. So you can build a dev test lab and assign it a budget, and you can put some... Um, governance rules in place in that lab to limit what kind of virtual machines that are deployed or maybe turn things off at, at five o'clock when everybody goes home and turn it on again at nine o'clock to limit your, your burn down of, of your budget. Um, and you can get it to, to set alerts up. So as you pass the sort of 25%, 50%, 75% of your budget burn down, you can get emails, things like that. So if I, um, if I give Richard I don't know, 30 grand's worth of Azure credit, and he burns half of that in a week, I'll get an email and I can go, uh, hang on a minute, that was supposed to last you three months, Richard, what are you doing? <laughs> um, and, and you know, hopefully put some constraints and controls on that. When it was just that, I was looking at it going, okay, I, that, that's probably got legs. Um, but the, the, the team's been continually adding features since they, they first got this out there sort of 12 months or so ago. And now it's a very, very flexible way of provisioning and managing virtual machines in the cloud pretty much full stop. So if you're running training courses, for example, um, it's a great way of, of throwing up a whole bunch of virtual machines for a, for a training course or a lab where people can log in and claim a machine for themselves. Um, and at the end of the lab, you can just delete the whole thing. And um, for your development team you can use the the um 
the recipes and formula to allow devs to consistently build our test environments and dev rigs with the right version of either applications that they need to support the work they're doing or libraries they need, or maybe the, the, um, the development you're doing, you've got artifacts that you're generating yourself from one project that are then being used for another. And we can feed all of these into the lab to, to effectively build our own custom Lego set. Um, and, and that means that developers can get those dev test environments they need much more quickly where the the IT involvement is a lot less, the speed's a lot a lot quicker, our, our cadence is faster, um, and it gets us on that road to experimentation that we all want to get to with with the, the the glorious DevOps world, where you know we we can say, well, um, because we can throw stuff up so quickly, we can go, well, what if we swap this component out for that component, this component for that component? Um, up until recently, it, it was missing the the what was, if you like, my key driver, which was um, support for for what we we talk about as being complex environments. Um, I do a lot of work with customers where we're building ARM templates to provision multi-server environments that they're going to deploy quite complex applications on. So you maybe want a domain controller, you want a SQL server, you've got a couple of web servers, you've got a BizTalk server. And I want to throw that entire environment out as one deploy, drop my code onto it and do my tests and then blow it away when I'm done. Um, and Dev Test Labs now allows us to connect to a, a, a repository of templates and deploy those complex environments within the lab and apply the same governance in terms of what kind of virtual machines can we deploy? Do we want to turn the whole environment off at five o'clock? That kind of thing. Um, and and for me, that made it a really, really powerful tool for a lot of dev teams who are trying to get over that age-old hurdle of, do you know what? It takes me six months to get a new environment for my team. So you know, we never ask for one because it takes so long to get one. But we're devs and we don't know what patching is and we don't know what managing machines is. You know, it's next, next, finish is all we know about installs. Um, so you, you, get, you get environment rot. You get, you get problems with the environments you've got and they're no longer valid test environments because they don't match live anymore. And, and I think Dev Test Labs is a brilliant tool to get away from that and enable dev teams and make everything a whole lot more agile, but in a managed way. Wow. So and ARM for the the TLA is the Azure Resource Manager. Yes. So, ARM as so a processor ARM. Um, Azure the, the way Azure works, you've got Azure Resource Manager, which is the control plane, if you like, and then all of the services are provided by resource providers. And you can create these things called ARM templates, Azure Resource Manager templates, which are infrastructure as code. And I declare what I want my environment to be as an end game and hand the template to Azure Resource Manager. And I don't care how those services get deployed. Resource Manager deploys the Azure Pixies who come along and build everything up from scratch from unicorn stakes and, and, and fluffy pink clouds. And I get my environment at the end. And it's, it's great. But what about uh, can those dev test labs, we still need to involve IT to get them to talk to our in on-prem, our in-network, they still need to set up the VPN and, and virtual private network and stuff. But but once that's done, so so yes yes they do potentially. Um, I always say potentially because I so I've got a, a personal leaning for deploying environments in their own isolated bubble. 
Um, so if, if I need a domain controller, SQL Server, BizTalk Server, yeah, whatever, I'll, I'll deploy a virtual network and all of those the stuff that I need goes into that virtual network. But it, it's, a, it's a replica of my production. It's not connected to production. And then I can do what I like with that and just blow it away. Now, that's great for some projects and great for some organizations. But if you're an organization where maybe you've got a huge database that your application needs to talk to and, and you need to share that between multiple test environments, um, then you're right. That's when we start to need to involve the IT guys. We need to look at how we're going to connect back to base. And that's where the power of different bits of Azure start to come in that I, I think are really, really helpful. So I have a conversation quite regularly now with my customers where we're talking about um, if you think of this a bit like a, a city block sort of zoning project where the networking guys will come in and deploy a virtual network and set up the subnets and the network security rules and, and, and uh, uh, VPN that to on-prem and set up all the firewalls and, and the routing. And effectively what they've provisioned is, is a set of empty blocks and then we can come along with dev test labs and say to dev test labs, use that network. And then we can deploy our environments and our virtual machines into those city blocks. But we can't change those blocks. We have no control over the networking because Azure gives us role-based access control. So the, the security guys are happy because they own that infrastructure and they can configure it how they need. But the devs are still happy because they've got effectively a sandpit into which they can throw their toys and remove their toys non-destructively so you know if they want to flatten a city block that's fine they just hit a button and and everything goes away but the block's still there and then they can put more stuff in there um so yes i think you've got to get everybody in the room you've got to get the dev teams you've got to get the the security guys the networking guys but the conversation is much more collaborative now because the networking guys see quite quickly that we can provision something in a way that is absolutely satisfactory to them, that they get the security, the governance, the control. But at the same time, the dev guys can still see that they're going to get some freedom and flexibility and they're going to be enabled by all of this rather than having to continually fight against IT to get whatever it is that they want. And I'm seeing that not exactly on a weekly basis, because fortunately I don't travel up and down the country that frequently, but but pretty much every customer I go to these days who's a large organization, it's the same kind of conversation. That sounds interesting. I'm definitely going to have the links to DevTest Labs and the Azure Resource Manager in, in the show notes, so if you guys want to get more on that one. Um, we, it's about time that we have to start wrapping up, unfortunately. I want to hear more about this, but we're running out of time. Just means we'll have to have you guys on again soon. Um, Richard, there was one thing that I wanted to ask you. How how is Black Marble like doing? Oh, we're doing well. It's uh, it's we're coming up on our twentieth anniversary in wow. next week or so. So, from small starts in a university science park with three of us, we're 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 running away quite well now. Still doing the uh, bespoke development, which is the bulk of our business. But then with Rick and myself and some of our other consultants getting out there doing all of the DevOps and ALM side work. But yeah, 20 years makes you feel old. Wow. And, and you've seen a little bit of movement, I'm sure, in technology in those 20 years. Huh? Oh, yes. Well, we started as a Java shop originally uh, and then moved into .NET when it came out in, what was it, 1999? Yeah. Yeah, and then yeah, a few technology shifts in between, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been an interesting period, but and forever changing. You don't come into this industry because you don't think you like things that don't change. 
<laughs> whenever we hire somebody, especially like a level one, you know, who's only been coding for a year or two or so. It's like, you know, everything you know today is going to be gone in a couple of years. We've got to relearn everything again and again and again. Yeah. Does that make you crazy? And then ones, well, yeah, I kind of like a stability in my life. Yeah. Those are the ones we say, mm, yeah, don't be a developer. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, well, we're coming up to the end. Uh, Richard, where can people find you? Uh, the easiest way is either to, to go for my Twitter, then I'm just uh, Richard Fennell, or hit my blogs. If you just search, search for Black Marble Blogs, you'll find uh, all the blogs for all of our stuff, and mine's uh, buried in there. And Rick? Pretty much the same. I'm Rick Hepworth on Twitter. My blog's on the same Black Marble blog server, as are, I think, all the other Black Marble MVPs. Um, I'm also Rick Hepworth on GitHub. And as, as a quick call out, if you do want to play with Dev Test Labs, then um, there are two repos in my um, GitHub account, one of which you can attach to a, a Dev Test Labs to deploy templates straight from it, and one of which has some ARM templates that might get you started with that kind of stuff. Awesome. Yeah, and I'll have links to both of those repos in the show notes for everybody. I'm looking at them now as we speak. Um, great. Well, gentlemen, I really appreciate you coming on the show. And, and, and you know, I, I know you're looking forward to talking with Martin and Mickey and Paul and Angela. And It's not a show unless I invoke the Dugan. Um, sorry, it ended up just being me. We'll have to have you on the show again when we have more hosts. Well, it, it helps to keep the uh, length of time we spend on the news down, doesn't it, by uh, <laughs> minimizing the number of people. I was sorry. Was I supposed to <laughs> shut up during the news? Right. My bad. Apologies. Not minimize, just streamline refinement. It's like a backlog refinement. Yeah, we refine that. <laughs> All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to get a hold of us, uh, send us an email, radiotfs at outlook.com, at Twitter, at Radio TFS, Facebook, we're slash Radio TFS, and voicemail. Remember, I kind of, I promised I was going to check to see if this worked, and of course I lied, and I did. but send us a voicemail, 1-425-233-8379. And if it's safe for work, man, you can be like a, a, a special guest. You can let us know what you think, what you like, what you don't like, what we should do more of, we should do less of. Uh, let us know. Uh, and those of you who have been, um, Emailing us, Rod. I appreciate you. I, I've been emailing Rod a bunch. We talked about using the REST APIs to gather information from TFS and how you can even use Excel to do it. He and I have been emailing back and forth on that. As much as I hate to say it, using Excel to consume the, the get REST APIs from BSTS and TFS actually is a great tool. It's amazing the information you can get out. So, Rod, thank you again for listening. Um, Michael, I know you're listening too. Oscar. You're listening. Al, I think you're listening too. And I think, Mom, you might be listening as well. For all you listeners, again, I really appreciate you listening, and thank you for listening to Radio TFS. <laughs>